I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, welcome to another episode of the Two Sharp Reds, where myself, Ollie Geel, and Mark Schwartz alike to try a different glass of red wine. And then towards the end of the episode, we'll compare that wine to a player, past or present, and mark a really special edition of Two Sharp Reds today because it's, of course, Gravy Day. You, of course, I assume know what Gravy Day is? I have absolutely zero idea what Gravy Day is. Do you not know? Do you not know? It's uh, the 21st of December. Of course, the the great Paul Kelly wrote in in his song, uh, How to Make Gravy. He wrote his letter about how to make gravy on the 21st of December. So it's gravy day. All right, next. Okay, well, <laughs> uh, I'm trying a, a Barolo, uh, a nice uh, red from uh, the Roma region. Uh, so stretching out to my Italian reds today. Should be very, very nice. Uh, it's normally preferred to be matching it with a nice um, uh, rack of lamb, but I'm having that for dinner. So I'm going to have some of it now and then, you know, play it on its merits and then for dinner, match it with the lamb. So what have you gone for? I like that, man. I like how you're stretching your bottle of wine out. Correct. That doesn't yeah. normally last that long in my I'm learning. household. I'm learning, yeah. Yeah, well, see, I'm going for a Cloudy Bay Pinot Noir. Ooh, Cloudy 2018. Bay. Uh, going back to my, my favourite wine, the Pinot Noir, um, New Zealand Cloudy Bay. What a wine that is. I tell you Beautiful. what, I love it. So, yeah, I'm gonna, it's not going to last very long, mate. So I'm going to have to have it just at one serving. It's so good and really looking forward to it. Very good stuff there, Mark. I'm sure we'll talk about lots about the red wine. There's a few questions I need to ask you about the current situation uh, with Socceroos and the goalkeeping situation there. There's lots to talk about. But before we do that, we do have a very special guest and it's now your time to shine, Mark, as you do your famous intros. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know about famous. Uh, infamous. Infamous. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah so, well, anyway, this is... Uh, Listen, great honor again, uh, as it is most weeks whenever we have a guest on. Uh, absolutely brilliant fun. And this is a guy that um, I watched him develop as a young kid, to be fair. And I said to him as he came on the, on the, uh, the show today, he doesn't look like he's changed very much. He says he does feel different, but he doesn't look that different. Still got a baby face. And a baby face when he, when he came onto the scene as a young 16-year-old or so, when he, when he sort of showed his face at the training ground. Still one of the best left foots I've seen, I have to say. Um, to absolutely terrorise people up that left-hand side of the pitch um, and is an absolute legend at Middlesbrough. Did a, made a couple of appearances, a couple of different appearances at different times at Middlesbrough. So he's definitely a through-and-through Middlesbrough born and bred and very passionate about the club um, and was playing there, you know, very pivotal moments of the club's history and in the most successful periods of the club's history. So um, love to introduce another than Stuart Downing, left-winger, Attacking midfielder and um, young kid who's not a young kid anymore. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to Good it. Good stuff. Did, Mate, did you stumble I, there, Mark? I think you stumbled on the intro again. A little bit, yeah, because I was, I was going to say something else and I changed my mind. So. He gets so nervous. I'm so sorry oh, about that, just, Stuart. But every I get time. Away, I, get, gets, I wouldn't even say it's nervous. I reckon I get excited. 
sure. Yeah, I, I, that's so more than anything. I get excited. Yeah. Um, nervous, I don't get that often. It's more, ner- you know, more getting overexcited and trying to control my my feelings, and my emotions in that regard. Anyway, Shui, wow. Um, you know, like you, I was looking at the other day um, the stats. You yeah. played, was it over four hundred games for Middlesbrough? Two stints. Yeah. Um, yeah. You were born and bred in Middlesbrough, so. Yes. I want to know, it's hard for me to understand, and I'm sure with Ollie as well, is that in Australia, we grew up and we have clubs that, that we support, whether it's other football teams, rugby, uh, AFL, which is, you know, it's, it's pretty fanatical, but it's still not quite like it is in Europe with football clubs. Yeah. What's it like to play for your home team? Unbelievable, really. Unbelievable. I mean, even when I got into the first team, uh, was it 18, 19, so I was literally still a fan. So a couple of years before that, like you say, I, I, when you were playing, I was a ball boy. Uh, and then, like I say, within two or three years, I'd gone from that to full-time professional and then into the first team. So it was a little bit you know, crazy, really. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't believe sort of my luck uh, getting in because like, like, all fans, me, my dad, and my whole family are all Middlesbrough fans. And, you know, I've, I've sat uh, on the halfway line for many, many years watching, you know, Middlesbrough with our season tickets. So... Crazy, but uh, you know, absolute dream come true for me. When when you're that kid, right? So you go from obviously the dreams are you want to one day play for your, your home team, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but when was the realization that this is actually a strong possibility? This may happen. I think probably when Steve McLaren took over. I think he had a meeting with us in the new team, and he said, "I've watched his play the last couple of weeks." I always remember the meeting came, and he said, "And there'll be two or three years that will play by the end of this season if you keep playing the way you are progressing." Uh, on the quiet, it was Mark Proctor actually who said to us that he was looking at me and David Murphy, uh, very close. We all of a sudden went from youth team to into the f- reserve dressing rooms, and we were, I don't know if you remember, I was travelling to a lot of first team games without playing to gain experience just to see how you lads prepare, etc. Uh, etc. Et and I, I always remember Steve McCann actually said to me, Watch Mendieta, watch how he, you know, he eats, how he trains, how he conducts himself his movement off the ball because Mendy wasn't a very quick player but he was very clever wasn't he and uh, so I, I had literally a year of travelling just just picking picking things up really and uh, yeah so we progressed quite quick and then by the end of that season I think about four or five games before the end of the season we played Ipswich away we were pretty comfortable in the league and and he put me in which I wasn't expecting to play to be honest on, on, on the day but he, he, uh, he kept the team until an hour before kickoff. I, I do remember that day, actually. I, I really yeah. do remember that time when you 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 made a, your debut in the team. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, Steve McLean came in and changed everything dramatically at the club. Um, yeah. And, and huge difference. And it wasn't long. I mean, you went out alone to Sunderland. Yes. I yeah. mean, did you get stick for that? No, I didn't actually. I mean, I look back at it now and people said to me, well, that's, a, that's like uh, not a bad thing to do, but to go to your local rivals. I think obviously they were in the championship and they weren't on the same level as Middlesbrough at the time. And, a lot of the clubs that wanted me on loan were down like QPR, I think, down in London. I was only 17, really 18, and I was quite young. And, you know, I wanted to stay quite local. And uh, and I met Mick McCarthy once at reserve game. And he said, I'd love to take you. Uh, and that's how it came about, really. We, we, he watched a couple of games and he said, yeah, I need a left-handed player. And then I spoke to Steve McCann and he wasn't really big on me going there. I, I don't know why, but he was like, no, no, I think he should go. I think Chesterfield were one in League Two. And I was like, well, I'm not really going to learn in that league. It's it'd probably be difficult for you because you remember at 17 I wasn't physically you know, developed you know the kit was literally swinging off me wasn't it when I played and <laughs> I didn't think it'd be right for me to play in that league physically I would have probably got lost and I just thought the championship was more 
better football. The Sunderland were a good team, and and in the end, uh, he let me go uh, for a month and I think a month and a half, and then and then he he called me back. I would have loved to have stayed actually till the end of the season, just because I was playing and you know reserve team football and and like I say, no crowd, and I'd gone from that to like thirty odd thousand at the Stadium of Light, and I loved it, and I just wanted to stay, but uh, injuries called me back. If there's one thing that I can relate to, it is being a fan. So then from yeah. your perspective then, so you said yeah. that, you know, when you start with Middlesbrough, it took a while to kind of, you know, become yeah. more of the, you know, the, the player rather than the fan. So was it weird yeah. putting on a Sunderland shirt? And two years before that, I'm sure if someone said to you, hey, yeah, here, wear this, you go, ah, oh, no, thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, no, not for me at all. Yeah, if you'd have asked me that at 14, 15, there was, there'd have been no chance I'd go to Sunderland. That, that wouldn't happen. Uh, but I just think at the time and... Uh, been close to home because I was a bit of a homeboy when I was younger. Uh, like I said, down the road, and then and, and it was a good team, basically. Then there were better teams and the, the other loans, and it just worked out perfect for me, really. And like I said, I was only there a month and a half, I think, and then I came back. But uh, it was great for me because it gave me confidence to go and play in, in, in a men's league, really, uh, in front of crowds that I hadn't really done before because I was playing in reserves in front of a couple of other people. So it gave me a lot, a lot of confidence because you know, I was quite a quite young and shy at that time and it brought me out my shell a little bit. And that was your string ball, wasn't it? Because you went there, you played yeah. that month and a bit and you came yeah. back and then you became a regular pretty much yeah. from that point onwards at Middlesbrough. Yeah. Um, so it was a huge part of your development and that spring ball that got you into the side. Yeah. Um, 2004 League Cup final. Um, what were yeah. your memories of that? I mean, I know you didn't play. You were yeah. involved in the squad on that day. That must have been tough as well because you played a lot of games leading up to it. Yeah. Um, what was the What was the reasoning? Did Steve McLaren give you a, a talking to? Did he pull you aside, or was it one of those ones you just found out and that was it? I think because if I look at it now, I think I would have probably, you know, given him a bit of stick back because I was only young, and I had to thought, you know, don't be cheeky about it, and you, you want to stay in the manager's plans. I sort of accepted it, but there was a game before that we played Newcastle away. If you remember, I think we lost two one. Right. And I'd played leading up to that game and then he said he pulled me in and said, I think it was me and Chris Rigger at the time, he left us out and said, I want to go with experience, we need a win. And I could if I look at it now, I could see what he was doing. He was literally playing that team that was going to play in the cup final. Um, but I still in my mind thought, oh, I've still got a chance of playing the cup final and et cetera, et cetera. But I knew looking back now that, that he planned that. And uh, I was, you know, I, I wasn't really disappointed. I think I'd come back off loan. I was still a young boy trying to learn my way and, and I was on the bench in the cup final and I look at some of the lads like Colin Cooper and people like that who played nearly every round, I think, and then got left out. So I was lucky in that sense. But looking at it now, I think I, w- I would have said, well, you know, I deserve to play because I was, I was playing in the team. I was doing well. And, and, and obviously he was trying to fit Bolo into the, into the team as well. And he went for him over experience. Really. That, was the, that was the only answer he gave me. It was experience. Well, he did get mad at the match in the end, didn't he? <laughs> well, yeah, he did all right, didn't he? But for a great decision. But I think, like you said, I wasn't overly disappointed. I was thinking, I'm 19 year old. I'm on the bench in the cup final, and like I say, I'm a Middlesbrough fan, and all this. And I, I just, the day was unbelievable. I mean, I celebrated like I'd played 90 minutes. It was looking back, I think I was at the front with the trophy and everything. And <laughs> I didn't even kick a ball, but it was an unbelievable day, wasn't it? It was great, uh, great celebration. Like I say, the parade and stuff we did after was was unbelievable. How did it compare? How does it compare from like winning, being part of the squad that won the, the League Cup final? Yeah. And, you know, you played a big part leading up to it and then promotion. Yeah. So were they on a par? I know they're very different, but are they on a par in terms of the way it's received, the way you uh, celebrate it? And did you have a similar feeling? Uh, I had a bit of a strange feeling when we got promoted with, with do you mean the Aitor Karanka side? Yes. Yeah. 
because I had a, a bit of a nightmare a few months with him. Obviously, uh, we'd had a fallout and stuff. We'll talk about that. Don't go on that. We'll talk about right, that. Sorry. So <laughs> no, you can. I you had, can go. Talk about it, mate. That's fine. Yeah, go. I had a bit of a. I was so angry because he dropped me for that last game against Brighton, and I played leading up to that all the games. And I don't know if he wanted to make a statement or whatever he was doing, but uh, we had to win the game, and I thought you know I deserve to play, which we generally do, don't we? We always think we should be in the team, but. He left me out and he put me on the last half an hour and, and, and I was so angry. I mean, and I couldn't get it out even at full time. I was trying to celebrate and I was so angry. But you have to put it aside because you got promoted and then it's over. But I knew there was problems leading up and there was going to be problems after that. And Whereas the cup final was more, I was still a fan. And it was an unbelievable day. All my family, all the friends went and the parade. So I think looking back, it was it was probably the 2004 because that set us on that run, didn't it, of Europe and we knew what was coming and we just found a bit of a bit of a wave, weren't we? A bit of a crest of a wave and it was unbelievable. Yeah, you talk about Europe. I mean, that, that was some experience, wasn't it? I mean, that, that's... Oh, that's unbelievable. Um, an incredible accomplishment and you look back now as a, obviously as a Middlesbrough fan and a player that's played for Middlesbrough and grew up in the area. I mean, it, it, and I look back at it as a player of thinking it's, you know, some of the, the proudest moments of my career and, and most enjoyable moments. And yeah. to think that, a club like Middlesbrough to accomplish what we did, I think it was underestimated at the time. And, and yeah. it's only now that you kind of appreciate it. So go through that running. I mean, you remember the first game we played in Europe? In Europe, was it? Uh, I'm trying to think of that team. It was away in the Czech Republic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was James Morrison squad, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. That yeah. yeah, I can't remember the was team. It name. Remember the... Sorry? Banneke Strava? Was it Banneke Yeah, I think it was Banneke Strava. I think you're right. I think the thing that struck me about Europe was the atmospheres, wasn't it? It was they were, they were fanatical, crazy. We were, like you said, we played in the Czech Republic and then we went to Bucharest and it was just like, this is crazy. Because the Premier League wasn't like that. It was, they weren't as hostile. Well, and that, that's the thing that struck me. It was very, very hostile wherever we played. And playing in Rome and places like that, it was like unbelievable. Like you said, we did we take it for granted? And you look at it now, it's, you know, obviously the club's uh, you know, now in the Championship. But if you look at that, we, we had a really good team, really good squad. And we played in Europe, like you say, every couple of weeks against big teams and beating them and doing, and doing really well. So you look about it, it as unbelievable memories, really, for a team, like you said, Middlesbrough's not massive, it's not a big area. And how we did it was unbelievable. What was it like as a kid, like as, as, as a kid, but as a, as a local during that period of time? I mean, what, it must have been amazing. And I lived out of town, so I lived like an hour yeah. down the road. What yeah. was it like day to day, walking down the street, doing your things, you know, family and friends, everyone's a Middlesbrough fan? It was unbelievable. I always, I always it, it just brought. There was like a, a good atmosphere, a good, you know, people on the pubs were, were packed, and you're lucky, like you say, match days and European nights they were packed, and all your family and friends are can't wait for next week. They weren't even bothered about the Premier League game on the Saturday. It was like can't wait for Wednesday night. We're playing Roma home and stuff like that. It was, it's dreams, really, isn't it? It's unbelievable. I remember we when we got to the final on that Thursday night when we got through, we all went out into town. Me, Mozo, Maka all the young pups uh, and we're in the nightclub and just celebrating with fans really we're in the mix of it all with our suits on and just having beers and, and celebrating it was unbelievable really you probably wouldn't do that now would you but <laughs> looking back it was like crazy really how do you um, sum up your relationship with Borough fans because I mean the only real relationship I've ever had with, with the club is when obviously when Mark played there and as a you know yeah. Socceroos fan you kind of keep in touch where where all the national uh, you know players are but when we had Janino on the podcast I distinctly yeah. remember how passionate all the Burrow fans were online and like I was blown away and we've had some you know we, we talk about a lot of you know cool you know big teams but I just was yeah. blown away there was something special about them I felt it was 
I mean, like Junie was was love when he swore to about me, but like he was the number one really. He, he I don't think he ever had a bad game in a bully shirt in her eyes. He was just he was God, you know what I mean? He was which he, which obviously he was a fantastic player, he was an unbelievable player really. Um so they loved him, they had a sort of affection with him and you know the way he was as a lad and stuff like that. And he was only little and the way he played, he was exciting. And I think they took to him, you know, in that especially in that era, there was a buzz around the town, like I say, there was a buzz when he signed for us. All the big name players come, but he was he was the number one and uh yeah, he probably still is now as well. Oh, he's absolutely is. Um there's no doubt about it, they loved him. Um favourite game in in the in that European run? I, I think I know what it is. In in any any game in the two in the two over the two seasons, you mean? Yeah, well that really the one we've got to the final. So the Yeah, the Bucharest has got, got it has um, to be Bucharest, doesn't it? I think we were two 0 down when we were in the game, three 0 on aggregate. We were, we were so out of it; it was unbelievable, wasn't it? And they were good, really. They were a good team, and I, I actually thought if we get a draw this game, we've actually, you know, got a bit of respect out of it and a bit of, I don't know, give the fans some material about. But to we, the way we did it and how we did it was so unlike McLaren as well, because we were quite not defensive, but we were solid when we under him four five one four four two, and then in the end we had like six strikers on, didn't we? I think. I think it was four. He had he had four out and out strikers on. Oh, um, yeah. You you had three assists, and Massimo was, pops up again for the winner Massimo. for like the second round in a row. He was our European man, money Massimo. I, I I was chuffed for him because he had a bit of a tough spell, and he? he was on loan and he wasn't getting on with the manager, and he come for the big price tag. And I just thought, you know, I like him now. He's probably number two on the list. They love him, yeah. Massimo. Didn't play a lot of games, but when he did, he he got us in the final, didn't he? And uh, got a couple of the winners. So I was pleased for him because he was only a young lad, wasn't he? And he had a bit of a tough time, and you know, fair play to him. You know, and then funny, all people, you wouldn't have expected because he wasn't the most professional at times, right? Loved a bit of a party as well. Yeah. You're not playing to like 38, 39 years old, still playing in, in Syria, scoring goals, which is just incredible. He must have um, cut them cigarettes out or something, wasn't he? I know, you're not wrong. Final. So I've got to talk about the final, even though I need to talk about briefly because 4 0, yeah. I, I still to this day, 4 0 is not a fair reflection of the game, is it? No, no. I think there was big moments for I think we had a penalty shout 1 0, if yeah. I'm right. Big for Duke's had a volley saved, didn't he? I think yeah, off, on the line of the keeper's leg. And I think if that goes in, I think like we probably get that momentum of like here we go again, we're going to win. I think that was our attitude, wasn't it? It didn't matter yeah. who we play, we'll just beat you. We'll just turn up and we've got strikers who can score, and we were quite solid at the back. And I think you have to say they were a really, really good team, and they've gone on to then players in that team have gone on to have amazing careers, Danny Alves, people like that. And but it was never a four 0 game, I think. Obviously, we had to attack at the end and try and get the win, and that's when they probably picked us apart. Uh, but overall, like I say, it could have easily swung the other way, and we could have we could have won two one. So it was a great game on it. I mean, it, obviously we lost in the end, but I think to get the final anyway was an achievement. But just disappointing the way we ended really in the result. How how tough was it for you um, then? You know, we talked about before, fan, local lad, and then yeah. being at the club, you get relegated. Yeah. And you you end up leaving the club and and, and moving on. How, how how big a decision yeah. was that? Uh, yeah, it was because I think six months before that I'd had a conversation in the January that Tottenham were trying to buy me. Uh, but it, the summer before that January, sorry, I'd said to Steve Steve Gibson, I'm going to strengthen the team, and it hadn't gone well. And, and some of the buyers are coming and settled, and you could see it coming really. See it coming. Like I said, we bought Mido and people like that, and, and it, it just didn't work out. I didn't think, and the team was slipping and. We went on a massive run of not winning games, which obviously doesn't help. And I could see it sapping away. And I had a choice to make really in January. And I said to the chairman, well, you know, I'll stay to the end of the season. 
I'll give it a go and try and keep us in the league. But I could, back in my mind, I thought, you know, we're going to be in trouble here. We didn't have enough quality, I didn't think, and we improved because we got relegated. But but then I broke my foot down on the last that's second right. game of the season. So I thought, oh, well, that's out the window. <laughs> I'm here for another season at least because I wasn't fit until the December, I think. That's right, but yeah. Then, I was on holiday, I always remember this, and I think it was Keith Lang who rang me at the time and said, oh, listen, we've had a bid from Aston Villa. Out the blue, Matt O'Neill said he wants you to go down and do a medical. I said, well, I'm not sure this is going to work because I've got a boot on, I've got a pin in my foot. And I said, oh, no, it's fine, you just go for talks. And to be fair to Matt, and he said, the chairman doesn't want to sign you because he's going to pay you for six months and you're no good to us. But I've told him that I want you here. So he he got me in the building, really, he pushed it over the line. And, and like I said, but, and it was the right time to leave, I think, because been there a long time uh, to finish on a relegation was obviously not ideal what I wanted but you know it was time to go it was time for a change and, and I needed that I think and you were his first signing weren't you yeah that summer I think I was yeah yeah how did, how, what sort of confidence does that give a player that mean, that must be a huge feeling yeah well I've always been a, like a confidence player really, but I always remember a conversation I had with him on the training ground and I said to him obviously this is quite a serious injury and I was worried would I come back the same player and and stuff like that. And he said to me, I've got absolutely no doubt that you come back. You'll be even better than you were before. He was that type of manager, real man manager, give everyone confidence, uh, a bit old school manager, but I loved him. I absolutely loved him. He was great for me. He gave me so much confidence. And when I came back, he said, you know, you're not, you don't have to rush back. You can take your time. You know, you don't need to impress me. I know what you can do as a player. You just come and do what you did at Middlesbrough. And that was enough for me. I mean, I worked so hard to get fit because I was so desperate to do well for him because he, he put his neck on the line, really, and paid a lot of money to get me there when I was injured. So would you have stayed, you reckon, at Villa longer had he still been manager? Yeah, I think so. I, uh, it's an hard one because he probably would have probably fought harder for me to stay because he was like that. He didn't like players leaving him. Remember, yeah. Gareth Barry had a tough time getting out with him. But we were a really good team. And at the time, we were probably ahead of Liverpool at that, t- that point when they wanted me if he'd have stayed but I think Villa and that last season was slipping we'd had a relegation fight under Gerard Houllier you could just see those sense there was a bit of change and, and like I said Liverpool came for me and, and uh, I wanted to go really but I think if Martin was there I would have had a difficult choice to make but it was pretty easy because I, I wanted to leave at that point yeah with the um, so Villa, you look at Villa right now. I mean, it's a club that's obviously just got promoted back into the the Premier League. What season before last? Stayed up yeah. last season, controversially to some, because yeah. you know the the goal line technology wasn't in, wasn't working. Someone had f- forgotten to turn the turn the uh, the switch on. Um, uh, you know what what's what's your thoughts on them right now as a club and and where they're headed? I quite like the manager. I think he's I think he was a good appointment. I think he's done a done an amazing job there. I uh, you know lads. Uh, so he's a really good coach and stuff like that. And I think the bit of a sleeping giant, I think, but it was an amazing club when I was there. I couldn't believe the fan base and the, and, the, and the club. And like I said, we were in the top six most seasons, which is a good achievement. But I always thought he could go with Champions League. He had that. He had the crowd and stuff like that. He said the club size and the manager, Martin O'Neill, could, uh, could do that expectation. So, and it started drift a little bit, didn't it, before for a couple of seasons. But I think potentially if they get a good backing, and he gets the right players. I think they could be they could push right up the league. Are you a big fan of Jack Grealish? Yeah, I like him very, very good. I remember him as a kid when I was there. Obviously, I didn't know he was going to be as good as he is, but I always remember they used to talk about this kid Jack Grealish, and I'd seen a few clips to him as a kid, and he was he was he was ahead of it then as well, really for his age group. He was miles ahead. He didn't train with you guys at all. No, I think he came in probably after me. He was only still young, but uh, I heard a lot about him from youth teams and stuff like that. 
So he always knew, I think, that, that he was going to get it through. And so, obviously, big Liverpool comes knocking. Um, yeah. Tough to, tough to turn down, though, isn't it? It was difficult. I mean, I had a conversation with Alex McLeish and he, he started giving me a bit of a lowly shout of, you know, the club bought you injured and this and this and you should say. And I said, well, no. The manager who bought me is not here anymore, so there's no likelihood in football. I said, listen, it's Liverpool. I'm never going to get another chance. I'm 27. It's probably my last chance to get a so-called big move to a big club. And, and in the end, I think he understood and he said, right, OK, I'll, as long as I can get another player in as quick as you leave the door, then I'll, I'll let this happen. And I think he was down the line of Simon Charles in Zogbia, which was nearly done. And he said, once that is all agreed, you can go. And it was, you know, I left it not on bad terms. Obviously, the Villa fans weren't happy because I had to put a transfer in to go. You, you obviously you know how it works and I didn't really want to do that but I had to to go and, and uh, they probably don't like me for that but it was Liverpool like you said and, and I was desperate to go there uh, Vic Doug- uh, sorry Vic Douglas I was going to say Vic Douglas Kenny Douglas was the manager um, yeah how surreal is that I mean you know you see him on TV you watch you know you know of him as a player and then how he managed Liverpool is an absolute yeah. legend at the club it's a bit yeah. surreal turning up at Liverpool and, and, and seeing Kenny Douglas and yeah well, my dad was a big Liverpool fan, like years ago, well, let's say fan. He used to love watching because they were the team in the 70s and 80s. And, and he said to me, Kenny was an unbelievable player. And, you know, so when he was signing, it was a bit surreal. It was a bit like, this is unbelievable. Like, and I, he rang me a couple of times. Couldn't understand half the words he said, but <laughs> it seemed to go all right. I think the conversation was very hard to understand. But he was a great fella. Unbelievable guy to play for. You know, I, I, I heard he couldn't understand you either. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> so I went well, yeah. That worked well. It seemed to work, but he probably thought, what is he on about? And I couldn't understand. So, so did your dad get a chance to meet him? Yeah, we met him, yeah. We, we, we signed, we went there, did the medical. Uh, even, even, even after games, he'd come in the lounge and that. He was very approachable. He wasn't, you know, everyone thought, oh, Kenny, Kenny, you know, everyone was a bit in awe of him, but he was so laid back and, you know, he wasn't above himself. You know, he was quite, you know, like good, respectful. And he'd always say all the families and ask how you were and stuff like that. Great fella to play for. I mean, amazing, really. But, uh, yeah, it was difficult because, like you said, he got sacked after one year, which I thought was a bit a bit harsh, to be honest. Uh, Brendan Rodgers uh, came in as well. So yeah. what was that like? How, how did you find working with Brendan Rodgers? I thought he was an amazing coach. I have to say, uh, stuff we learned from him was, was unbelievable. We had a bit of a rocky patch at the start. I mean, him sort of didn't see eye to eye. And I sensed that he wanted his own players and he was trying to probably get us out of uh, the building. But doing it not in the right way, I didn't think he was hammering us in the press and stuff like that and you know we got fight hard and this and this and I didn't really need that because I was already in the pressure and he was being a big sign and, and we'd sort of said that first season we'd sort of fail because Kenny lost his job and you know I had a few words of him that I wasn't happy the way he did things like that man management wise but I think we gradually you know got on I was back in the team I was playing and I enjoyed playing for him but um, yeah just the start really we had a bit of a rocky patch but he was, he was an amazing course I have to say yeah is it, yeah, because it was a bit of a tough time for you at Liverpool, wasn't it? Like, it was kind of like the fans, the management, change yeah. of management. Yeah, it was, a, it was a tough, tough experience for you there. So, yeah. so the, um, the move, I mean, well, okay, so go back to Liverpool right now. Um, they were yeah. always set up to do what they're doing now, were they? Or, or did you get that feeling at the club? Yeah, when, when the Americans took over, they, they, were on a, they were on a mission, basically. To, they wanted to win the league. It was all the money they invested. Like I said, Kenny spent over 100 million and... That season, we finished seventh, I think, which for them was a disaster and they, they wanted to make a change. And You could just see the back in the ad and uh, I think they even had like, people like LeBron James and stuff on, on their... That's right. Was it, like, on, on the board and stuff like that. You could see he, he was going places and 
they weren't going to hang around. So if they didn't get what they wanted, they would change manager, they changed players. And you've seen the, the spending. Brendan spent quite a bit, didn't he? And, and Jürgen spent a hell of a lot of money as well on, on, on good players, I have to say. Uh, so they're getting what, what they want really now, yeah. And they've also got improved facilities as well. What were your, your Melbourne yeah. memories back in the day? Melbourne was... was, it was before I got there, the lads said, and then they spent a, you know a couple of million quid on it, doing it up, which was good. But it was right in the middle of like a like a council estate, and it was like weird. And he's turned up, and all the kids are on the fence, and amazing, really. But uh, I, I sensed that as well that they always wanted to go on a bigger bigger scale of training ground, and and, and that was all. I think that was in the plans, you know, eight nine years ago before they've, they've got it built. And I don't know if you've ever been to the academy one, which I think they're at now. That it, that was always better than the first team one. Uh, but I think the first team were in the, in that one when Gerard Julio was in, and they moved to Melwood, back to Melwood. But uh, I mean, it's amazing the new training ground. It's, it's literally got everything, hasn't it? It's unbelievable. But I like Melwood. It was good. It was only little and stuff. But I think the memories, and like you said, uh, we're, we're all good there. So you talk about Brendan Rodgers being a really, really good coach. Um, yeah. So you're not surprised Leicester are doing as well as they are and, and playing as good a footballers. I mean, he's changed. He's changed Leicester's way of football as well. I mean, yeah. more more playing, more possession. That's yeah. no surprise to you, is it? No, he was he was always possession based. I think he's, a lot of his ideas were from the Barcelona, Ajax ways of playing. He said he'd done a lot of studying in Spain and how he liked all the technical football really and, and he could take the ball and like, Gatinos, these type of players. He loved all them. And uh and the way he set his team up, you know, he was very People say he's arrogant, but he's very, very confident in, in what, how he works. And, you know, and he gives his players confidence to try to play that way. And, you know, and, he, and he's not afraid to go and play the big teams away, Man City's and Man United's. And he won't go to defend. He'll say, "No, we go to win. This is this works. This is the way I play." Uh, all high intensity pressing, and like you said, he likes players who can handle the ball as well. So I enjoyed. I thought his coaching was really good, and, and to be fair, it started to click the back end of my last season there and you could see that you know he was, he was, he was going to go places with the team um, so for some reason after you left Middlesbrough it was kind of like a, a two year period each time at each club yeah it was almost like your, your period right okay next one West Ham uh, big summer yeah. holiday came in for you yeah how did he, that he, come about well I was back in the team at Liverpool and, and Brendan basically had a conversation with me and said I'm bringing players in uh, I think Iago asked pass and people like that if you remember him uh, you're going to have to fight for your players and you might not play as many games as you think you're going to play and it was literally a, you're not going to play I think yeah. I think he, once he got them in the team he wasn't going to put me in but I, really I, I should have stayed maybe another year and, and fought when I look back but then I can't take away what I did at West Ham because it was an unbelievable club I had a great time and, and Big Sam said you know, come give me a chance to speak to you and to come down because I said to him I wanted to stay at Liverpool and fight for my players and I'd work hard to get you I don't want to just give that up but I was 29 at the time, I think, 29, maybe 30. And I thought, I need to play. And I could sense I wasn't going to, once he got me out of the team, he wouldn't put me back in. So I made a decision to go. Um, so you, like you said, you really enjoyed it. You enjoyed working under Sam. So, because like, obviously all the talk yeah. about Sam, that style of football, long ball, yeah. and, you know, it's defensive. Um, did you actually enjoy playing with him? I didn't see all that. I mean, kick, I never even say kick it long to me. He used to say, I mean, just find the ball and excite me. He was just... He was, he was like that and don't get me wrong he didn't want any messing about with the back he said like you know we haven't got players to pass out from the back we had solid defenders he, he seemed to think and he just said if it has to go it has to go and, and you know he was, there was no ifs or buts there he just wanted away from the goal but in midfield and up front he wanted to see crosses shots and, and flair play he enjoyed all that and uh, like I said the players he brought in 
you know, prove that he, he liked to players like Alex Song and people like that were good footballers. And then he brought me and Jarvis on the wings to cross. And he always liked a big target man, but we struggled a bit because Andy Carroll wasn't fit uh, for long periods. So we brought in Jaffa Sacco and people like that and really exciting players. And he got a good team there. He left a really good team, I think, at West Ham. And uh, I love playing for him. He was, he was probably the best man manager I've ever had, I think. So it gives, gives uh, West Brom hope of staying in the Premier League, you think? Yeah. I, I know that disappointing yesterday. He'll be fuming about the sending off. I can imagine being fuming about that. But he'll definitely get them organised. He'll definitely give them a fighter's chance. And, and like I say, he's a really good man manager and he, he gives confidence to his players. And I think the best chance they have is, is him in charge, I think. Um, so, like I said, go back to it. Two years at West yeah. Ham. Your time's up. And yeah. I, I, I remember when it happened, right? So I'm sitting there, my, and I've told you this before, right? My son... Yeah. raves about you all the time. You're the best player in the world to him. He manages right. all these teams on Football Manager, plays FIFA, always brings you in, right? And right. I think not long ago, one of the FIFA managers, you were retiring and he offered you this ridiculous contract and you still refused it because you said you're retiring. He, he's like devastated, right? right. And I'm trying to snap him out of it and he's just not having it. Um, and he knows I'm talking to you today, so like he's, he's like in awe of it. Um, and I remember the time when you left West Ham to go back to Middlesbrough. Yeah. And you're in the Premier League, you know, you're doing well, you're obviously enjoying your football, yeah. and you're still young enough, you're still good enough to play another couple of years at the very least in the Premier League. Yeah. And I know it's Middlesbrough, but why? Just give me another reason. Give me another reason for it. I think my heart just ruined my head. I think I, I look back on it. I, I don't like seeing it as a mistake because I, I don't like to look back on things and have regrets because, like I said, I made a choice to go back. But to leave the Premier League to go to the Championship was wrong. On my part, it was. I just got back in an England squad, I think, six months before. And I, I still don't know this day. People ask me all the time when I'm out and about, like, what were you doing? Like, what, what are you thinking there? And I think, I think my heart just ruined my head, really. It was, it, we had a young family, and I'm thinking, do I go back home and get settled? But I was having a great time in London, new experience. Imagine a brother lad in the bright lights. Of course. I, I, I loved it, and wife loved it, and we had a newborn baby. And, and I, honestly, I can't tell you why. But it, I think my heart ruined my head, and it was it was a wrong decision. Really, I think it's the Palmer, the Palmer one, the Palmos. <laughs> that probably that played a big part as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I honestly, well, I got more sophisticated when I went to London. I started eating a bit more posher <laughs> food and stuff. You so, started looking after yourself. No way! That, come on, don't tell. Did, yeah. Come on, be be truthful here. Come on. I did. I got the old um, Palmer. When I used to come on, but yeah. So back to Middlesbrough. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's part of the issue, isn't it? Like being a local lad, yeah. having such a strong connection with the community, yeah. obviously the, the owner of the club, Steve Gibson, you, you have a very good relationship with him. It makes it difficult, doesn't it? It makes it difficult to say no. Yeah. And he, he rang me and, and it wasn't even like the contract. Now, obviously I was getting a, a longer deal, like four or five years, which gave me security, but it wasn't about that. I think it, it, I left on a relegation. And I wanted to go back and get promoted to sort of, well, I've done that now. I've ticked it and, and I've helped the club. And that was part of my reason as well. But, you know, and he had a really good team that he was going to spend a bit of money on the team. And it, it just excited me a bit. And, and I'll be honest, I was absolutely gutted when Sam left West Ham. Uh, and I, I, I couldn't get my head around it, mate. You know, playing for Billich, we it didn't strike it off, you know, on a good foot at the start. Not that we fell out. It just I didn't get that warmth from him like I did with Sam. And, you know, I'd gone from, from that to that, really, and I just thought, you know, maybe it's time for a change and I'll maybe go home. But looking back, if Big Sam was in charge of West Ham, I would, it wouldn't have been a conversation. I wouldn't have entertained going back to Middlesbrough because I was having such a good time playing for him that it would have been wrong for me to leave. But 
I just sensed a bit of, I don't know what really is going on with, with Bilic and stuff at West Ham. And I thought, well, let's go back home and try and get promoted. Was it the same club you went back to, do you think? Was it, was it you know, no. it's always like, you know, the idea of going back to your old school and going, oh, that wasn't yeah. there, you know, this, what, what was that like? Yeah, I think I, I went back thinking this is going to be what it was like the first time, but differently, total different players. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know why I even thought it was going to be the same because it was no one, like I said, it was a lot of big Spanish connection. It felt like a bit like a foreign club, if you, if you know what I mean. The way that the way that he ran it, and not that, that was wrong. It just, it just felt a bit, you know, we, had, we were a bit of a family club the first time around. Swati will tell you, we were all good lads. We all got on, and I just sensed it was a bit, bit different. And, and uh, yeah, I didn't, really, I didn't particularly enjoy. It, I'll be honest. Can you talk about the moment? There was a particular moment, wasn't there, during the season? <sighs> Which one? The, well, the next season, really. <laughs> so you missed out on promotion that season, and then the very next season you got promoted. And there was yeah. a moment in that season where. Karanka left the club. Right. And there was a moment, I suppose, as a team, you could have probably cemented that, that departure by going away and winning at Charlton. Yeah. You guys were, as one of your best, sorry, one of your worst performances, wasn't it, as a oh, team away at Charlton. What happened? How did that, how did that even happen? Can you, can you talk about it? Yeah, yeah, I can talk about it. I mean, we had a, we played on the Tuesday night, if I'm right, and... Uh, he sort of lost his head a bit and he'd, he'd, he'd had a goal. He'd come in the change room uh, at Rotherham where I'd been on the bench. He'd come in and he started shouting and this and this. And I'm sat there and as he walks out, he comes back in and says, what did you say? Some, and some of the lads had, and, and Clayton slammed his boots on the floor and I still got my boots on. He comes in and he said, you have no respect for me slamming your boots on the floor, this and this. And I'm going, what are you talking about? I've still got my boots on. But looking back at that now, that... Uh, the coaches and Agas and people are setting it. He was looking for a fight, really. He wanted, he wanted, he wanted confrontation, and and he got it. And I just said to him, "Listen, like, what I'd lost me, and I'd had a bad time, and and that was it." And then when they called a meeting on the Thursday, and he sat us in the circle. Remember the meeting room reception at the Rockcliffe, and he yep. and apparently he was going to go through all the players and just tell them how much they pissed him off and what we're doing wrong. He was going to go right through the full team, and one of the players. Well, I can't name it because I don't get in trouble. Said to yeah, him, well, why don't, why don't you just tell them direct instead of reading out your book? Just tell them who's pissing you off and let's get out in the open now. And he's had to go at this player. The player's had to go back and he's, and he's stormed out, basically. I never said a word and just sat there, just thought, well, I've had my piece of him, that's it. But this was happening regularly over weeks. He was falling out of players and, and staff and et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and it was just a big build-up and they could see it coming and he, and he left. And that was it. And then the, the chairman rang me on the night and asked, you know, what had happened. Uh, I told him and, and he said obviously other players have said that staff and he said well I think you know that's it I don't think he's coming back and he said I have to make a change Agus is in charge and then so for me he was gone uh, we went to the game on Charlton and now all these rooms are coming out that it was he fell out with me he fell out with Albert Dome I think nothing of, of, of the sort really and I always talk about this because people ask me everywhere I go even now what happened with Karanga it was nothing you know I didn't fall out with him more times than anyone else and then we lost the game, like you said, it was a really poor game. We were shocking in the game. And you could just the atmosphere, the crowd were booing us, uh, shouting Cranker's name. And then, you know, come the Monday, you know, the lads, we got a text, we were supposed to be off, we got a text, you have to come in, Cranker's coming back. And I thought, well, that's a bit strange because Chairman's told me he's not coming back and the players think he's not coming back and, he, and he's come in the building. And like I say, he said, well, he didn't say sorry or nothing. He didn't apologise and I thought he should have because he walked out on us. And then from then on, I knew that was the end for me. That, that was it. I knew that, that, that he, he held grudges, he, he didn't like, I fell out of him, what I said to him, and, and from then on it was a battle really. 
so yeah, I had another year of him where he had to put up with what he was doing and sulking and yeah, I didn't have a great time, I'll be honest. Yeah, and obviously led to, to relegation as well. So you got the, the promotion into the league yeah. and then you got relegated that very next season. So it was kind of one of those ones. You kind of ticked the box of coming back to the club, helping them back in the Premier League, yeah. given little opportunity to try and help the, the side stay in there. Yeah. Um, that, again, that, that's, a, that's a tough one. And in the end, there was a couple of changes of management. Gary Monk yeah. was, was one that wasn't probably your, your most favourite one either. Yeah. No, I just, I just found it strange. What I mean, he, he pulled me in for a meeting at the start of the season. I put off a whole day. I came back. He said, can I come and speak to you? I need to... I met a few of the other players and I'll give them my thoughts. Can I speak to you? So I thought, no problem. Jumped on a plane thinking he just wants an experienced player's opinion. Maybe, I don't know. Didn't see it coming. Just said, how you know, good a career I had. He'd, he'd love watching me play when I played against him. Give me all this feel. And right at the end, he just said, but I play a certain way football sort of thing. a bit like Brendan Rodgers style really and he's like you know and I don't see you fitting into that I need dynamic players so I just said well can you explain what a dynamic player is still don't know is that fast is it is it what what is it and he said well you know quick I'm not saying you're not quick but you know these type of players wingers on the inside and like Martin Braithwaite he brought in and, and Fletcher and people like that I said right okay so we've got a problem and he said yeah well yeah he said you won't play every week and if you want to leave and get a change, then that, that's up to you. So I said, right, well, I need to play and I've had a bit of a nightmare, so I'm, I'm going to leave. So I went to train with the 23s, but everyone think he put me there, but it was my decision to keep out of the way. And, and I was going to Birmingham, really. It was 90% done with Harry Redknapp. And uh, and right at the end, things, some conversations weren't right. And Harry was telling me things about the club with different things. And I sensed that, that he wasn't going to be there very long, Harry, which he proved because he got sacked, didn't he? That could have been from one one uh, disaster to another. Which would have been horrendous, really. So I said to Harry, listen, this, I'm not leaving. My wife's pregnant. Eight months, I, I can't do it. I'm not doing that. Listen, I'll stay and fight for my place. And, and Gary Monk was like, right, fine, no problem. You can stay. But sort of put me to the side a bit the first couple of months. And then from nowhere, he put me in the squad. Put me on in one game. Played me the next game. rest is history. And he played me every week. I, I couldn't couldn't get my head around why he put me to the side and then all of a sudden wanted to play me every week. I don't know if he tried to make a, a stance of what had gone on. Because I asked him, was it because of Karanka's situation? He said no. But I, I sense he, he wanted to make a statement and get the experienced lads out. and Maybe the lads who had fallouts with, with, with Karanka. But uh, I got on with him okay, to be honest. After that, we, we got on fine. And I was quite sad to see him go when he got sacked because I, we were starting to enjoy the way he was playing and we started to click a bit. And he came from nowhere and I got sacked. Um, Tony Pulis came in. You had a good relationship with him as well. But in the end, yeah. you leave the club. Yeah. Was it was it a hard one? Was it? I mean, it was kind of like you get to the point where you, you're ending, you're getting towards your twilight part of your career. Was it sad to leave the club again, or was it just kind of like you kind of accepted it? Yeah, the writing was on the wall. I mean, I don't know if you remember. Uh, Tony Pulis tried to get me a new deal. Uh, I think it was like a one year, two year deal in with the coaching. He see me. I don't know if he was going to be there long term or not, maybe part of his staff in the long, put me in the academy and I said, well, yeah, that's perfect for me. Two-year deal in the academy, I'll take that all day long. This goes on for six months, but I had a clause in my contract if I played 23 games, half, half the games I get another year extension and I got 22 games and we were playing on New Year's Day, if I'm right. And Pulis pulls me in uh, with Jonathan, obviously he was my brother-in-law, and he didn't even know because he said, I would have told you earlier. And they've had a phone call on the morning from Steve Gibson to say, Stuart can't play anymore. He can't start. He's not getting that new deal. 
So I said, right, well, you've left it right until the last game to do this. You've known for six months, like, why didn't you tell me? And he was like, I'm really, really sorry. And he was embarrassed, really, Pulis, because I was playing every week. I was an important player for him. And he said to me, you can't start, but if, if any chance, I'll put you on. And he was putting me on after 20 minutes in some games in the first half. And it was embarrassing, really. And it got to a point where there was about 10 games to go. And Pulis said to me, if you sign this waiver, the club will offer you something, I think, in the summer. And Steve Gibson literally promised me, he had a meeting at the training, and said, if you sign this waiver to play the last eight games to try and get us promoted, I'll, I'll offer you something in the summer, a reduced contract. And I said, right, fine, no problem. We shook hands. I went away and said, right, I'll sign the, the waiver. Signed the waiver, played in the last eight games. And then Neil Bowser rang me on old and said, oh, you're free to speak to the clubs, you, you can leave. No way. And I just thought... Phew. That left a bit of taste in me. I was thinking, a local lad, I've played over 400 games, like you said, come back and got the promotion and, and I just got bang. And then my dad spoke to chairman and didn't end well, to be honest. It was a, it was a probably a naughty conversation and my dad said, I, I literally, I've given him everything. Wow. And then there was a massive fallout and I've not spoken to him since. So it was How sad. Is it even because, possible? That, like, it doesn't make any sense, does it? Like, no. that is just like... <laughs> I didn't even know that. That that's just yeah. astounding, unbelievable. And I thought I'd helped him. I'd signed a waiver. I was going to take a reduced contract. I was I want I was I was home. I was settled, and uh, and I just yeah, just went bang to the side. Did, and have you have you been back to the club since? I've played against them uh, on. I think when Jonathan was at the job, and I went to Blackburn. Yeah, I've been back once. And and what was your reception like? I got an amazing reception. I got clapped for the game and then I came off about 10 minutes to go uh, and I got like a bit, literally a standing ovation but I was thinking well why didn't they do that when I was there because I was getting booed the last season. <laughs> well, at least you thought, got that. See, at least you got that. See, I got booed when I left and I got booed when I came back. I got you? booed all the time so I, I, I didn't even get any of that. So, and I, I, I didn't have that experience that you were promised and handshook and everything else. I had a different experience. I had an experience where, yeah. um, like I said to you, my son's a big fan. He's, a, he's actually a Middlesbrough fan because he grew up supporting yes. Middlesbrough, born in, born in Harrogate. And he wanted to go to the playoff final when you played against Norwich. Yeah, so yeah. I arranged through my agent to get tickets from the club, which I said to him, I, I want to pay for them. I don't, I don't want free tickets or anything like that. Yeah. And they went, yeah, absolutely. So I got tickets right behind the goal. And um, they sent the, the tickets to me. And that was literally 10 days before I... I I, I sorted it all out. I didn't receive the tickets. Um, and it was like a Friday night. The game was on a Sunday. And yeah. uh, I, I received the thing in the post saying there was postage due on something. Right. And I was just like, what is this? Like, I, I don't even know. Normally when that happens to me, it comes from Australia or something like that. So yeah. I, I, had to, I, was, I was still playing at the time. I think it was going away for a game. With, I think it was at Leicester. And I said to... Uh, my wife, could you go down to the post office and, and see what this is? So she yeah. went and it was the tickets. So the club had sent them to me, special delivery. Yeah. But I didn't pay for the special delivery. It was like s seven or eight quid. And I, I was just gobsmacked because I was like, I'm willing to pay. Why don't you just say to me, I can't, we can't pay for the delivery. So it's going to cost you additional. They didn't. They just sent it. Yeah. They expected me to pay at the other end without even saying it. I, I just blew me it blew me away no, on top of everything cool. else but it don't surprise me it, this is what I mean it, was, it wasn't the same club when I went back I just I don't know the first spell maybe you've seen differently because you were an experienced player and I was only a young kid and I was just maybe away with the fairies but 
a sense of uh, good family club. It was all together, wasn't it? We always got looked yeah. after as players and play liaison and stuff. Even the second time we went back, it was no like sort of play liaison. It was like Wendy still the receptionist doing lots of stuff with the other girls. And I just didn't sense that family thing. I don't know. Maybe it was the way the Spanish work correctly. I don't know. It was a little bit, even stuff like he moved all his offices from downstairs all the way upstairs to near the canteen out the way. That's right. I remember in the back corner. Yeah. I, I, Cause I went in there. I went and saw him. Yeah, I just sense like stuff like that was a bit, like, like a bit disconnected from the, the academy and stuff like that. Whereas we've always always been as one, haven't we? And just the little things like like that, but that, that don't surprise me. That story you just told me, to be honest. Yeah, I, I was blown away by it. And still, it leaves. Unfortunately, you, like you were there. Was it twelve years? Yeah, two periods. I was there twelve and a half years, and you've got a bad taste in your mouth, and you shouldn't. You actually should no. be looking back at it really fondly, and and yeah want to go back to the club, want to embrace it. But I, I, I find it difficult because of it. No, no, I get that. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not hurt by it, but... I, now, I you've got to be hurt. hurt. You've got to be hurt by it. You can't say you're not hurt by it because that is really poor. That's like yeah. disrespectful. That is, that is a slap in the face. That's, that's actually yeah. taking your, your honesty and your loyalty to the club yeah. and as a fan and, and, and actually taking the piss out yeah. of you. Yeah, I'll take that back. I mean, I was disappointed. I was angry for a while, but it didn't surprise me. And I should have seen it coming. Like, where I thought they were going to ring me back up in the sun and go, oh, there's another one-year deal. Brilliant, you local lad, you stay. Because they don't work like that. Yeah. And how I didn't see it coming is unbelievable because I've seen the stories over the years, like yourself, when you left, Big Vadukes left. on, on bad, Everyone leaves on, on similar, looks like bad terms. Yeah. Why yeah. can't you thanks Mark for your service? You've been here twelve years, been great. Anything you ever want from the club, give us a ring. I got a letter. I got a letter three months after I left from Steve Gibson, which was a typed out letter, and he obviously got his secretary to, to, to type it out and he's just signed the bottom of it. Ah, the bottom. Um Gareth did actually sign write me a, a handwritten letter. Yeah. Um, because he was obviously the manager at the time. But yeah, just little things like that, you know, not even a phone call just to say, listen, so whatever. They not even have to say sorry we didn't agree anything. That's not a problem. You know, no. you move on. But just, yeah, it was it was really, really poor. Um, really disappointed with it. But anyway, life is. Yeah, um, so Blackburn, you're at the twilight of your career, as they always say when you get to this stage. Um, yeah. Enjoying your football still? You must be at your age still playing, oh, being involved. No, oh, yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, it was what I needed, really. I went uh, to speak to Tony. I don't know if you've ever met him, but you know, great fella. Big borough fan like us. He's a big borough lad. And he's just good, you know what I mean? He's just a good fella. He's, Good to play for. He's great with me. Like I say, he looks after me training wise and games, and and he's brought me onto this coaching side of it as well, which which, which he's helped me with that, and he'll do anything for you really. So I've had a really good two years there. I mean, at one point it didn't look like I was going to go back because of the COVID, and they were they were a bit tight on money on on, on contracts, and I'd agreed another one year, but then he got pulled, and uh, you know he he wasn't happy with that because he said that was not similar to what we're on about now. He said that's not the right thing to do, and. It doesn't sit well with me that this has happened. And, and to be fair, I was sat alone for three or four months thinking, you know, that's the end now. I think it's gone too late. But he kept ringing me saying, no, no, wait, wait. I'm, I'm fighting, I'm fighting. I think they'll give us some money. And we got a few injuries, a few COVID problems. And then he rang me and said, listen, they're going to do it. We'll bring you back for another season. So fair play to him, really. He could have just given up on me, really. I'm, like I said, I'm nearly 37. He could have just cracked on. and But he kept fighting to get me back in. So I'm quite pleased about it. And obviously, the, the ambition is clearly there. I want to go into coaching. You're involved with the 23s yeah. as well in coaching capacity? Yeah, I'm doing badges. I think it's something I think I'd like to try. 
my a lot of players just say, you know, I don't want to go out and just do something different in their life. And I get that, but I think, you know, it'll always burn away at me, you know, what if, what if. And even if I go into it and, and enjoy it, I'll carry on. If I go into it and think, maybe not, it's not for me and it's a bit different than what I thought, then, you know, I'll, I'll walk away and do something else. But I think it's, it's something I like to do. I like to help people. I try to give advice to the young players and I quite enjoy that. And, you know, as, as long as I'm enjoying it, I think, and giving, giving something back, that's helping. I think uh, I'll, I'll give it a go, yeah. Mate, it'd be a proper Middlesbrough connection and coaching staff there. You've got, obviously, yeah. Woody. You've got Mozza, Robbie Stockdale, Ben Roberts, goalkeeping coach. Yeah. Mate, you can have a complete Middlesbrough set up there. The dream team. The dream team. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> I spoke to Mozza a couple of weeks ago. I mean, he's been promoted, hasn't he, to West Brom first team. Quality right. for him. He was, he was the same. I think he just wanted to dip his toes in and see what it was like. And he said, it's been brilliant. I really enjoyed it. Because he, he had a bit of a bad time. He had to retire, didn't he, quite a few hours early. And... But then I speak to Dabba, Andrew Davis, you remember him? Yep, of course. Still mad as a box of beans, you know, he's mental. And he's he's totally gone away from football. He's uh, doing like uh, energy drinks and stuff like that. And, okay. Uh, the ketone stuff and he, he's totally gone the other way and he said coaching wasn't for me, and, which is fair enough. But it's crazy how we just see him all doing different things. Of and, course. And how they move on in with the life. But uh, still speak to all of them. They're all good lads. Finally, ultimately playing football, making his professional football, but the pinnacle has to be playing for your country, right? Yeah, it was amazing. Made some amazing memories. Like I said, World Cup and the European Championship, them tournaments were unbelievable. The atmospheres, just the travelling around the world. And you see the world, don't you? It's, it's something you, you wouldn't really do if you didn't get picked for your, for your country. And uh, amazing memories. I would just wish we'd have, we'd have won some, especially 2006, I think. From 2004 to 2007, eight, we had you know, some of the best players in the world, really. You know, Gerard, your Lampards and... Rooney and Michael Owen and all these and how we didn't win some it was, was unbelievable really but we just needed that bit of luck we had sending offs uh, Rooney was in 06 that, I think we went on to win it uh, injury in 04 with Rooney when he broke his foot you remember in Portugal when he was yep. first on the scene you need that little bit of luck but uh, you know don't have any regrets it was an unbelievable time really. brilliant mate thank you very much for your time and no wish you all the very best in your coaching capacity in the future and obviously thank hopefully you. you get a few more games between now and the end of the season and bang a few more crosses into that left foot yeah. of yours I might be giving you a ring I might need a goalkeeping coach <laughs> um, I think my hamstring is a bit tight mate I don't know if I can or a drinking partner a red wine drinking partner I'll, I'll exactly now that exactly. we can help with yeah 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 that Absolutely. we can help with won't be long back to Ollie and Mark in just 15 seconds if you enjoy Two Sharp Reds though make sure you search Geg and Pod wherever you get your podcasts David Weiner is joined by thousands of games of experience both on and off the field it's a great listen G-E-G-E-N-P-O-D the Geg and Pod okay back to Two Sharp Reds Halftime drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds. That was a, a great chat, Mark, but it was a great opportunity for me to just sit back and have a sip of this Barolo. It was perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah, I enjoyed it, mate. Stewie's a, a good lad, young kid coming through at Middlesbrough when I was there. Um, always, always like, you know, good pro, right out of instrumental and very important periods of time in the club's history. Um, and just great to hear his stories and his experiences and unfortunate experience of when he left the club, which... Um, I'm, I'm surprised. I actually am surprised, even though I've had some slightly dis- well, disappointing experiences when I left the club. I just didn't think Stewie would have the same. That was, no. or even worse, far worse by comparison. Well, in fairness, with what happened with you, it could have been, you know, let's say, you know, hypothetically, it could have just been an administration error, you know, a bit of a, it might not be, but, you know, but then to be promised something, you know, from the club, that's, um, yeah. 
yeah, well, pretty even, disappointing. Even, you know, handshake agreement, and then the chairman not even actually calling him himself no. to say, listen, this is the circumstances. I know I did agree that I did promise you, um, but unfortunately, whatever, for whatever reason, you know, and, and that, yeah. that is really disappointing to hear. Should we cut this bit out so your son Julian doesn't hear it? Because we really, I don't want him to feel... No, know, no, no, he, he knows, mate. He knows how he the knows. football world operates. Okay. It, 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 won't, it still won't change his love for the club, you know, and the players, yeah. um, and, that, and that's just the way it is. Uh, Mark, just want to cover off a couple of things before we finish off our wines and depart for Christmas, which I'm very much looking forward to, even though Christmas is pretty much cancelled in London. Uh, but that's okay. I don't we know why we're brave, laughing, yeah, you're we right, put, put on a brave face and continue. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a frustrating time uh, here in the southeast of uh, England, but it's also a very frustrating time for Matty Ryan. Now, what's going on? Wasn't even on the bench for Brighton. Um, he's missed, what, has it been in at least the last three games? Um, I think the last not, two. The last, last two he's two. been out and uh, not even in the squad. But to not be in the squad, I mean, that's yeah. it's been the first time in a long time we've not even had an Aussie in the Premier League. I mean, it's scary. Yeah, it is scary. Um, more importantly, the, the, the concerning thing for me, uh, for Matty, is, you know, if he's not in the squad, there may have been a bit of a falling out, whatever it is, and the manager believes he needs to get his head right. That's, that's another thing, you know, and, and, and you kind of leave someone out of the squad and, and it might take a couple of weeks for him to do so, right? Which I, I don't understand. But when you hear the manager come out and say that realistically, like, you know, it's going to be tough for him and if he wants to play, he's been a great servant of the club and, you know, he may look to go elsewhere. I mean, you're opening the door and you're pretty much saying, go and find yourself another club. Yeah. And, I, and I feel for him, you know, that, that that's... That's really hard to take. You know, when you're in the side, you feel that there, there have been issues in the team uh, in terms of performances at times, or concede goals. But what he's basically doing is he's, he's, he's singling him out as being a bit of a scapegoat, really. Mm. Um, and he obviously had it him up for a while that he was looking at uh, leaving him out because he already dropped him at one stage, brought Sanchez in uh, away at Spurs, didn't go quite to plan and then brought Matty back in again. So... Um, I think the writing was kind of on the wall for him a little bit. Um, and I can imagine, you know, being in that position, he's probably thought, right, I'm getting it back in. I'm going to do well. I'll do best as I possibly can. And, and, and there's no reason, in my opinion, to say, well, well, there's no way to say, well, actually, he hasn't performed well, even in the last couple of weeks, to justify taking him out of the team. Mm. So that's clearly a personal thing in terms of maybe style of football, maybe type of goalkeeper that uh, Graham Potter believes that in Sanchez, he's got someone that can offer him more to his team in the way that he wants to play. That's the only way I can see it. So one thing I would say, though, every time, certainly when I watch Matty Ryan, I might be watching with Socceroos goggles on. You know, I'm I'm aware of that. We love him. Uh, So, you know, there might be that. But I'm looking at some of the the goals prevented um, data that we've got here. So for Matty Ryan, he has played 990 minutes, which is pretty much, you know, every, well, he's obviously, you know, only missed a couple of games, right? So there's only, you know, a few more players, Larissa's, um, you know, Edison's of the world that have played sort of every game, but he's conceded 14 um, and his goals prevented is minus 5.3, which is the second worst in the league. Yeah. You know what? I mean, Stats are interesting at times because you can, if you clearly go off stats, it can paint a very, very poor picture. But I don't think you can judge just on stats. I think you've got to. Even for a goalkeeper, though, isn't it? Even for a goalkeeper, though, isn't it? Is the stat not you you prevent the goal or you let in the goal? 
Yeah, but the, the question is, how preventable is it for the goalkeeper? So is it a goal that the goalkeeper should have saved? Or is it a goal that actually had very little chance of saving, but there was a percentage that you could save it and he didn't? I mean, you, you've got to see it in real life to be able to, to be able to judge whether or not they were genuinely preventable or not preventable. You know, I, sure. I, that's why I'm saying, I think the stats can be deceiving. Um, I mean, listen, when you, when you're down there on all those stats, it's, it's never great. Right. So you're obviously having a tough time as, and it's not always, you can't always just pinpoint the goalkeeper and say, it's the goalkeeper's fault on all these no. things. Um, and, and, and likewise, when, you're keeping clean sheet after clean sheet. It's not just the goalkeeper. It's the defense. It's the guys in front of them. It's the, the whole other 10 other players on the side. And it's the same when it comes to letting in goals, unless you're letting in really poor goals, unless you're making blatant mistakes that are on your shoulder. And Matty hasn't... No. I can't remember the last time he made a, a, blatantly, a blatant mistake that's led to a goal. So, you know, when they analyze it, does he sit there and say he should have saved... You know, half the goals should have saved a quarter of them. I, I'm not sure. Who knows? But he's clearly got a. Dis- he's made a decision, Graham Potter, that he that he wants to have a different type of goalkeeper in goal. He said it after the game at Fulham. Um, I, I saw his interview and he talked about Sanchez, about the ability Sanchez has to kick the ball long, and yeah. uh, to play out at the back. And he believed that he was very well suited to his side. So that's telling me that 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 the kind of aspects of the game that maybe he feels that Matty's not at the same level. I, I mean, that, I'm only going by what he's saying. So that's how I'm reading into it. Um, and and that, that's got to be, you know, it's difficult to take for Matty because, you know, Matty's a good goalkeeper and, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I am surprised he's out of the side. So what about from a, a broader perspective when we think about the Aussies at its peak in 2005 um, in the Premier League, we had 13 Australians play, um, over 10 games in a Premier League Yeah, I think season. it was so eight of us who were regulars in the Premier League. Yeah. So, yeah. and now we've got uh, none. We've got a big donut. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it, you know, you, you go through cycles. Every country, well, not every country, but the, the smaller countries in terms of population and even in football nation terms, you go through cycles. And we obviously had a, a generation of players come through that, were very successful and very successful at playing at some of the, 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 the highest level, the elite levels of, of, of football around the world. Whereas we're, we're, we're not at the moment. And part of that also has to do with our inception into Asian football. Yep. The ability, the opportunity for players from Australia to go and play in Asia. And the progression of playing in Asia compared to Europe, I still believe there's no comparison. So in terms of when I say progression, progression in becoming a better player, to going on to very good levels, very high levels, developing as a player and being able to play at the highest level. Playing in Asia is not the highest level. So the highest level is playing in one of the top five leagues in Europe. And so there is generally a pull towards towards Asia. And, And I understand why there is, because the money that's been offered to play in those leagues is substantial. And for a lot of guys... It's, it's a, an opportunity to earn a lot of money very quickly right now, whereas coming to Europe, that may take them three, four years, if at all, to make that money. Yeah. Because they have to get a foothold in. They have to establish themselves. They have to get a reputation. They have to get games on their belt before they start getting paid vast sums of money. And they still may not get the same amount of money they're getting offered in Asia, even though the level of football they're getting playing in Asia is far inferior. 
So, so then I what understand about- the attraction of an Australian player wanting to go and play in Asia. I understand it. And I've said this all along. For the development of Australian footballers, it's going to be detrimental. Even though the likes of your Mitch Langrack is just, you know, broken the record for most clean sheets in a J League yeah, yeah, season. It's a tremendous accomplishment. And there's no doubt about it. And Mitch is actually probably playing some of his best football in Japan. And Japan's the best league in Asia. Um, how would the Japanese sides go regularly against teams out of the top five leagues in, in Europe? Yeah. I mean, they do okay. They do, they do reasonably well, maybe, you know. And, and for some Japanese clubs, they've probably got a higher budget than, than a lot of European teams, right? So it, it's, it's hard to compare. You will never know because I'll never play against teams in Europe on a regular basis. And it's just going to be an opinion of yours or, or over mine. You believe, say, for an example, you believe the Japanese yeah. league is as good as, say, the Bundesliga. Yeah. Or, or I believe, you know, that the that the, the Dutch league is better than the Japanese league, the J league. So it's, it's, it's all a matter of opinion because we never be able to really judge it. So if the soccer is had to play tomorrow, is Langerak or Ryan starting then? If they play tomorrow, I, I, I believe that it's hard. If they played right tomorrow, gosh, I, I think it's a decision that Graham Arnold's national team coach would have to make. And that would be based on, you have to take a few things into consideration. What is Matty Ryan's mental position at the moment? Where is he? Mm-hmm. Where is he? Physically, I don't believe there's an issue because he hasn't been, out of, he hasn't been not playing for long enough. It's more about where, what, what headspace he's in. How is he dealing with these circumstances currently now at his club? And again, it depends on what type of game you're playing for the national team. If it's a friendly, of course, Matty can play. If it's a, if it's a, a vital World Cup qualifier... Then, then he's got a big decision to make. Does he go with someone who's in incredible form, who's just broke a record in what I believe is the best league in Asia, um, as opposed to a player that's just lost his place in this last week in what I believe is the best league in the world? Mm-hmm. That's a big decision. And it comes down to, for me, it comes down to headspace. Where is Matty in his head? Okay. If, and where, if where do you think he is? Tomorrow. Where do we think he is? If we had to make a guess. There's no doubt he will be bruised and yeah. he'll, his ego will be really hurting and he'll be really disappointed. And there's no doubt for me that his head will be all over the place. It doesn't mean that if there were a game tomorrow that he would be in that position because he doesn't have a game tomorrow. But, you know, like mm. you'd be mentally already preparing yourself and getting yourself ready, trying to get yourself ready. Well, Mark... Gravy day. It's coming to an end. I'm just looking outside. The, the, the sun's already settling. You know, it's, it's one o'clock in the afternoon here in England. Uh, <laughs> I tell you what, no, Slightly later than not much. Uh, it is 3.30, but it, it feels about eight o'clock at night. Um, yeah, gravy day. You, you're not a Paul Kelly fan or just not familiar with the, the day itself? Listen, I, I really like music, right? But I'm terrible at remembering names of songs, lyrics, um, understanding like listening i don't really look into it i don't really listen to the lyrics so much i just listen more to the music the rhythm if i like the sound so no i'm not familiar with it right i have been drinking today mark a barola it is a beautiful wine from the rome sort of region arguably uh, italy's most famous red wine the barolo uh, is made from now how would i pronounce this bad boy n-e-b-b-i-o-l-o Nebbiolo. Yeah, Nebbiolo. I'll, I'll go with that, mate. Count with, uh, yeah, with the, the Nebbiolo grape and is naturally quite pale in colour, distinctive, uh, has a natural partner 
um, acts as a, red, a natural partner for red meat, firm and dry with a long savoury finish. Um, as I sort of said at the start, matched really well with roast lamb, a steak, um, which I'll be having for dinner. I've gone so pretty much everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly <laughs> that's your, sta- right. that's your so- standard response when I rattle off what they what they're actually well suited with. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yours are everything. a bit like that. Yeah, yeah, fish. Yeah, yeah, you know, pie. You can. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah, what, yeah, what doesn't yeah. it go with? Uh, so tonight I will be having a lamb, um, and I uh, assume it will taste slightly better when I can match it. But for now, um, it was pretty nice. And you've gone for was the Cloudy Bay, wasn't it? New Cloudy Zealand Bay, classic. 2018 Pinot Noir. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Um, need a bit of time in the glass or a decanter. Um, yep. New world fruitiness, dose of uh, burgundy funk, ripe cherries, violets, baking spices, slightly mealy, vanilla, vanilla oak, and a nose lead to a palate that is plush and ripe, yet lifted by a crunch of acidity. That sounds like uh, a Paul Kelly song. I know, almost, yeah. Savory <laughs> tannins and earthy mineral streaks add complexity. Simultaneously approachable and austere. And this approachable could be drunk red. Now, but will improve with age. I mean, what do they mean by an approachable red? I mean, do you get that sense when you drink it? Is it quite approachable? Uh, yeah, I, I think all, all Pinot Noirs are very approachable. Hey, come on out, yeah. Yeah, here. because it's like one of those ones that, that yeah. they're just so easy to drink. Right. Yeah, so it's, yeah. It's, it's, you don't feel like I'm out of my depth a little bit. I'm a bit hesitant to go over to them. To it's a, yeah. easy just to walk up to it and grab a glass of Pinot Noir and drink it because it's Whereas so Whereas a Shiraz, I mean, yeah. you, you see a Shiraz at a party, you, you will... Well, yeah, gosh, yeah. You, you have to be a certain type of character to walk up to a Shiraz and yeah. start chatting one up. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> it takes a lot. So uh, now it's time to compare our wine to a player past or present. Would you like to go first? Or I'll let you go I? first, because you seem like you know what you're doing. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there are a few, We know, as we normally do, it's usually three or four words that, that really stand out. And I've, in my description there, I've, I've, I've noticed um, famous, very famous, um, distinctive. Uh, this player is incredibly distinctive. Even if you feel like you've not watched much of him, you you know him uh, and you can picture him straight away. He's like a, um, a, a, a what's that uh, that game? Guess who? He's like Guess one who, of them. Yeah. He's like you're right. You know, if I have put me down, um, he's a, he acts as a natural partner in in most games that I say. Plays in the midfield, but he's really good. Um, you know, he needs someone to bounce off. So he acts as a natural partner. He's very very. Um, my wine, it's famous, distinctive, acts as a natural partner, very firm and played in Rome, uh, Rajat Nangolan. So I think that's pretty good uh, if you ask me. Now, your Cloudy Bay, go. All right. So my Cloudy Bay, um, again, like yourself, there's a few words that stick out. Um, sure. You've got to really kind of use your ability to, to, to transform, transform, translate into a player, particularly me playing, playing with or against having come across one of the words is um, crunch. Okay. Crunch of acidity, but more about the word crunch itself. So he's a midfield player. love to go in for those crunching tackles. Um, he, he, at times, it, it, this, the, the wine has, you know, streaks, um, mineral streaks, adds complexity. This guy had 
complexity, a, a complex side to him. It was more to do with his mental state at times. He was always fighting with himself, the pressures of staying fit. He went through a really bad period of being, being injured all the time. He came to Fulham off the back of that and really needed to try and establish himself as a player that could stay fit for any length of time and get games under his belt. Real athlete, physically really strong. Like I said, going for those crunching tackles. But, and he was very complex in the way that he thought about the game and the way he thought about his own situation. So it was always a mental battle and you had to always be on him and say, come on, you'll be great. You'll be good. You'll, you're fine. You'll get through this. You're, you're a fantastic player. You're, and he, so he was very approachable, as with this wine, simultaneously approachable and austere. Um, and it, he definitely improved with age because when he came to us, I think he was already 27 and I spent two, three years with him and he got better and better as he was there. And that was partly down to the fact that he stayed fit. He was winning that mental complexity battle that he was having in his, in his head. Um, like I said, he was very approachable and he improved with age. So the player I'm talking about is a guy called Dixon Atuhu. Midfield player. We signed him from Sunderland and he ended up partnering Danny Murphy in midfield with Ful- at Fulham and became a bit of that... Uh, he, was the, he was the guy that... Uh, you know, really crunched those tackles, cleaned up midfield, did a lot of the hard yards and gave the ball to Danny Murphy for Danny Murphy to be that creative spark in the side. And, but just didn't have a lot of confidence. No, struggled. Yeah, really struggled with that self-belief. Looking at his, um, some of the places he's played, didn't know he played for City, Man City. That's pretty Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Preston North End, Norwich, Sunderland, Fulham. Oh, so you got, yeah, right, I see. Yeah, Blackburn and then off to Greece. There you go. But and very approachable more as well. He's been playing in Sweden in the second division. Yeah, uh, yeah, IFK, and uh, no, I'm not even going to. Rusenholm. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Yeah. R- R- well, no, now you know it's definitely that. It's Rusenholm. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Okay, well, good stuff there, Mark. Um, uh, I, I guess Merry Christmas is that what we normally say? Even though technically there's 369 days until Christmas. I know. For isn't us. It? Isn't it shite? We're supposed to be actually sitting together, having this this podcast, doing this podcast, having a glass of wine over with, obviously from the same bottle. Yeah. But due to COVID, it's been impossible. And now the fact that we're in tier four, a, a, a tier that never existed up until two days no. ago. Um, and Christmas is a day um, that we're supposed to be spending with family, but it's impossible to do so. And I feel for you. I feel for you stuck in that, uh, that apartment of yours. Um, luxurious apartment the, just add that sorry i just add luxurious to the yeah luxurious, luxurious apartment, apartment. Uh, yeah. uh that you are or condominium um yeah Ooh, uh yeah. yeah i didn't know you spoke Flat. latin yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's how i'm feeling yep correct yeah. um and also obviously we're in london but also a big shout out to everyone in the northern beaches of sydney as well after there was a there's been a, another cluster there so i'm not really sure as to what Christmas looks like in, in that part of the world, but I'm sure it will you know, look a little bit different to some other places in Australia. Yeah, let's hope that um, we get through this sooner rather than later. I wish everyone a very, very Merry Christmas and yourself, Ollie, and I'm sure we'll be in contact between now and then. And will. Um, it's been fantastic. So, you know, we're running out of time really again, and it's been great having a chat, great catching up with Stewie Downing, ex teammate of mine. Um, good to see that he's still very much involved in football and very much enjoying it still as a player and doing the coaching side of things. And uh, long may it continue, and I'm sure he'll do a good job as a, as a coach. I very much rated him as a player. 
and at times I thought probably on his journeys outside of Middlesbrough didn't really get a chance to fulfill that potential quite to the maximum. Um, and listening to him there, you kind of get understanding why various moments coaches changed, yeah. felt like he needed to move on, didn't really quite fit into the, the ideas of the new one, which happens all the time with players. Um, so yeah, very good to catch up with him. Lovely to chat to him. And of course, great to see you again, Ollie. And have a Merry Christmas. Merry Shipmas. Ah, Christmas. Thanks, Mark. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.